Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is Thursday, November 14th. Awesome show today, guys. Going to have on Dan and Hughes, color commentator for the Kansas City Chiefs. Break the season down with him so far. Chiefs just coming off their bye, just coming off their awesome win against the Dolphins. Going to break down their season so far, their season ahead, uh, what to look out for heading down the second half of the season here, going into the playoffs, expectations moving forward. All that awesome, awesome interview with him coming up. But first, guys, let's head in to NFL this past week of NFL, break down all the games like we usually do. Zach, we're going to start with you. What was your closest game of this week from NFL Week 10? Closest game of the week, Browns-Ravens. What a remarkable comeback by the Browns. Down 31-17, down 17-3 at the beginning of the game. About nine minutes to go, and they scored the last 16 points of this game. Deshaun Watson, a perfect second half, 14 for 14. By far the best game that he's ever played as a Cleveland Brown. You get Greg Newsom with a pick six. And to go into Baltimore, a team that a lot of people think might be the best in the AFC to win that game, shows the Browns are legit. They're playoff contenders, and they've got a chance now to win that division, even without Nick Chubb. Imagine how good they'd be if they had Nick Chubb. But they've got a defense that keeps them in games. Miles Garrett might be defensive player of the year. Mm -hmm. But that version of the Browns, that's a game that the Browns never win. And they've had about three of those games this year. You know, the Colts game earlier in the year that – this game. Yeah, we, we talked about it last week, too. I mean, this is my closest game of the week, obviously, as well. I mean, tale of two halves. I mean, Ravens played really well first half. Browns played bad second half. And then Browns came back in the second half, and Ravens couldn't really get anything going on offense in the second half. And they uh, struggled to you know keep the Browns from scoring as well. We talked about it last week, though. I mean, Deshaun Watson played really well the week prior, and I was I was really interested in seeing how he was going to come back this game and continue his momentum uh, from the week prior. But yeah, like you said, Zach, perfect, you know, a perfected uh, second half led the Browns back to an awesome win against the Ravens for a, you know, a last second field goal there. Uh, Browns scored on every offensive drive in the second half defense for the Ravens, not stepping up at all. Um, Ravens, uh, even the offense struggled in the second half. Um, yeah, so I mean, definitely just an awesome, awesome game. Ravens run game may have just gotten better though. I mean, they, they have an undrafted rookie, uh, running back Keaton Mitchell. He scored from 39 out on his first carry of the game that gave the momentum for the Ravens. Like I said, starting off in the first half, but other than that guys, yeah, they just tail of two halves. Good for the Browns. Excited to see Deshaun Watson's momentum continuing from the second half. And yeah, we'll kind of see what the Browns can do. Like you said, Zach, going down the stretch here. Justin, what was your was this also your closest game of the week? Yeah, it was Browns Ravens. Obviously, I mean, yeah. what a comeback by the Browns and the Ravens. I, I mean, the tough loss for them. Tough loss for them, and the Browns basically creep up in the AFC North with the with the Steelers, who also won against the Packers, and then the Bengals losing yeah. a very interesting week for the AFC and the AFC North in in general. Really, the AFC in general as well because there's a uh, you know parity in the AFC and it's up in the air right now. Yeah, I was I was uh, impressed by how well Browns were able to come back from this game. I mean Kyle Hamilton intercepting Deshaun Watson on the very first drive of the game. Um, you know Browns like they, like we said they struggled majorly in the first half had you know had a really bad opening to the game but being able to really like, really recoup themselves and give 
probably one of the best teams, if not the best team in the AFC, a run for their money in the second half. It was awesome to see, and I want to see if they can continue this momentum going into the next week. Most intriguing storyline. Zach, what was your most intriguing storyline? Uh, yeah, I think the 49ers are fine. They just lost, they lost three mm-hmm. in a row. They had a bye week, and this is a big game for them going into Jacksonville against a really good Jaguars team, and they made them look like mincemeat in this game. This is the version of the 49ers that might be the best team in the NFL. They ran the ball consistently. Chris McCaffrey had his touchdown streak in, but outside of that, it was pretty much a perfect day for this team. Brock Purdy played well. Debo Samuel scored. George Kittle scored. But the defense forcing five turnovers and making Trevor Lawrence look awful in this game, that's what the 49ers are built to do. And now you've got Chase Young and Nick Bosa on that defensive line. They are going to get after the quarterback. The 49ers' problems are fixed. And as far as the Jaguars are concerned, Maybe this is the kind of game that shows that they're very good. Maybe a step behind some of the top teams in the AFC. Yeah, no, great game for the 49ers. Uh, Niners had an absolute field day with the defense for the Jaguars. Uh, McCaffrey didn't score. His streak does come to an end, his uh, touchdown streak at 17 games. But they didn't need it. I mean, Kittle came out, had a big day. He finished the game with three or three receptions for 114 yards and a touchdown purdy played really well i mean he's been struggling the last struggling the last three games but he came out and played really well just shy of 300 total passing yards with three touchdowns as well the 49ers averaged eight yards per play as well and comfortably moved the ball down the field all day long so awesome win for the 49ers they definitely needed it and uh yeah like I'm definitely uh, they're back for sure as being one of the top teams in the NFC after this past week's showing. My surprise of the week, though, uh, speaking of a top team in the AFC and showing it uh, this weekend, uh, the uh, Texans. I think the Texans guys might actually be a legit AFC contender. Um, tech, I mean, CJ Stroud played awesome today. Uh, they really are. I mean, last season the Texans went three thirteen and one. Uh, just after nine games now, they're five and four. D'Amico Ryan's coach of the year candidate for sure. The way he's been playing, I mean, he's the, the this this team was supposed to be on a rebuild this year, and now they actually might be legitimate uh, playoff contenders to make a deep run uh, this year. I mean, they've been absolutely blowing out expectations. Uh, Stroud, I mean, he protects the ball so well. Virtually has zero turnovers on the year. Only two turnovers. Uh, on on the entire year for Shroud being a rookie that's absolutely amazing they find out ways to close out close games um they have won two straight games that came down to the final drive Stroud of course leading those final drives they look very confident they look like a winning team and yeah I mean that's I mean do you guys think they may even be potential you know if they could continue playing maybe like two three more games in a row here they can maybe even be considered to be a top five team in the league possibly I mean I I think the AFC as I'm going to say, is once again, is wide open. The Texans could mm-hmm. easily be a top-five contender. And C.J. Stroud, he might be the MVP in the NFL right now, even if, he's the, even if he's the offensive rookie of the year. We might have to consider Stroud in the MVP talk. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think the Texans right now are the best team in the AFC South. They're playing like it. They already have the tiebreaker against the Jags, so if they end up tied at the end of the year, they're going to be in a really good position. Plus, they got a game in Houston later on. So the Texans right mm-hmm. now are playing about as well as anybody in the AFC, maybe outside of Kansas City. But again, I mean, it's Stroud's ability to just protect the ball. I mean, a lot of yeah. rookie quarterbacks struggle, you know, with turnovers when they first start. And Stroud, I mean, he's so composed. He knows when to take shots downfield, field, and he knows when to throw the ball away. I mean, on the season, uh, 
2,600, just a little bit over 2,600 total yards, 15 touchdowns with only two interceptions, like I said. I mean, that's he also rushed for two uh, two touchdowns as well. I mean, he's playing absolutely amazing. D'Amico Ryans seriously will should be, if, if not already, in coach of the year uh, consideration. Mm-hmm. Having having Stroud helps a ton, but obviously, like, he's been he's absolutely amazing what he's been able to do with this team, and he, he definitely should be in the defensive player or coach of the year category. I mean, Justin, what is your uh, intriguing storyline from this past weekend? Most intriguing storyline, both the Ravens and the Jaguars. What happened to them? I, I mean, they, yeah. they could definitely be top contenders in the AFC, but it's one of those weeks again, and that's why the NFL is a week-to-week league. But the Ravens and the Jaguars might not be at the top of the AFC right now. Kansas City, yeah. obviously, the Texans. The Browns. I mean, the, the AFC is just it's it's wide open right now. Yeah, it's wide open. I don't know how. I mean, who would be the favorite in the AFC right now? I mean, and the rest of the league, to be honest with you, probably 49ers with how they played last last or not. You said AFC, um, but yeah, I mean, for AFC, I don't really know. Like, you, yeah, it's kind of weird. I, I still think it's the Ravens. Um, I still think it's the Ravens. They had a Bad week. Jaguars, I, they were coming off a five-game win streak, I believe, heading into this weekend. So I think they're still awesome, a, a really good team as well. They had a – I mean, Ravens played good in the first half. Jaguars played pretty bad all game, really. But I do think they're going to have a bounce-back game or a bounce-back week next week. I mean, Browns still – I mean, uh, Ravens struggled against an elite defensive team in the Browns. I think they'll be fine. But then Jaguars, like I said, um, it's hard to win six games in a row in the NFL. They just had an off week as well. I still think uh, Ravens and the Jags were – probably the two top teams in in the AFC right now. Um, let's move on to surprise of the week. Zach, what is your surprise of the it's week? It's the Texans going to Cincinnati and beating the Bengals. And it's not just how well C.J. Stroud played. It's that Noah Brown, who's been in the league for about seven years or so. This is the first time he's really been an impact player. Back-to-back games over 100 yards. And Damian – and. Uh, yeah, Devin Singletary, I'm thinking about Damian Pierce. But Devin Singletary replacing Damian Pierce had a really good game running the football. And the Texans are one of the worst rushing teams in the league. But if they can run like that, they can play with anybody. The offensive line's been banged up all year. And the fact that C.J. Stroud is still doing this is very impressive. There's no doubt about it. He's the offensive rookie of the year could be the MVP of the league. And I'm sure the Carolina Panthers have some second thoughts about taking Bryce Young over C.J. Stroud. Hopefully that's not a Sam Bowie over Michael Jordan thing for them. But – the Texans beating a very good Bengals team that was starting to hit their stride. Now, all of a sudden, Cincinnati is in last place in the AFC North. That's how good that division's been this year. Now, do I think they're the worst team in the division? No. I think they're better than the Steelers. But that could be one of those games that impacts whether the Bengals can make the playoffs in a very deep AFC. And th- this was a surprise that they were able to go to Cincinnati and win this game. But it was kind of a trap game for the Bengals because they've just coming off an emotional win against the Bills and they're playing the Ravens on Thursday night. And so the Texans are able to get them at the right time. So this is the surprise of the week. Yeah, I mean, they're not. Bengals aren't going to be able to recoup from their bad start of the season. Not with how close the AFC is, unfortunately. That I mean, the, that the start of that season is going to end up killing the Bengals because Ravens are going to, are going to bounce back. Steelers are somehow six and three in the in the division. I don't think that's going to really continue. But yeah, I mean that that. That's ultimately going to end up killing them. The how they started the season, in Cincinnati, because I think they're still a very, very good team, but um, the, their division, especially, is just too competitive. It's gonna, it's gonna prevent them from probably make, maybe even making the playoffs this year. My surprise of the week: Kyle Murray. He's back. Uh, Cardinals over the Falcons. Kyle, Kyle Murray played pretty well. I still think Kyle Murray. 
on a very bad Cardinals team, but I do think he still does have a lot of talent in the NFL. He does have a lot of potential. He came out Sunday, showed why they paid, uh, why they picked him number one overall, and gave him that contract extension, a $230 million contract extension going into the 2022 season. He threw for 250 yards and ran for a touchdown in his first return back from his ACL tear. He looked really good, guys, I think. Uh, Falcons, pretty bad team, all things considered, but definitely was a nice return game for Kyle Murray. Uh, his mobility was on display early. Uh, he avoided a sack on the first drive, or not the drive, but the first, uh, you know, possession uh, that they had. He ran overall for three, uh, 33 rushing yards on the day. Cardinals had a 1-13 record over the span of time that Murray was inactive, and now he does return. Cardinals, obviously, their season's over. They're not, not going to make the playoffs, but it still is nice to see uh, Murray back, especially considering that they can make momentum going into next year. Heineken and Ritter were absolutely terrible for Atlanta. Uh, they only combined for 70 total passing yards, both of them. Heineken and Ritter combined only didn't even eclipse 75 passing yards. Uh, luckily, their run game kept them in this game. Uh, Bijan Robinson finally getting more touches, 95 total yards on the day with one touchdown and 22 carries. Uh, Atlanta is now in a four-game losing streak, which is a shame because the NFC South is still pretty open for the taking. Um, and you know, if, if there was going to be a year they could make a playoffs, it would be this year. Cause like I said, saints are struggling and the whole division in general, is just playing pretty poorly and it's still, it's still wide open. So it's a shame that they're playing as bad, but I did like seeing their run game. I think I saw they had like total rushing yards was over like close to 180 or something like that. Very, you know, just under 200. So definitely keep that going. I've been saying that all year they have to continue to run the ball Atlanta. And I, and I, although in a loss, I, I am happy that they, they, I saw them running the ball more in this game, especially given B. John Robinson more touches, which is what everyone has been clamoring for this whole time. Justin, what was your surprise of the week? Surprise of the week? I'm going to go Texans-Bangles again. C.J. Stroud mm-hmm. has the Texans back on the map, and the Bengals, I'm surprised. I mean, as I say, surprising loss. Tyler Boyd dropping, almost won the game for the Bengals, basically. Had, that, had he caught that touchdown, they probably would have beaten the Texans. Yeah, definitely. Uh, shootout of the week. Zach, what was your shootout of the week? Uh, my shootout of the week was definitely the Lions-Chargers game. Back and forth, mm-hmm. back and forth. I don't know if there were any stops in the second half. I think the Chargers scored on six consecutive drives. Justin Herbert played phenomenal in this game. Four touchdown passes, 323 yards. Certainly can't put this game on him. But on the other side, Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery. That's the one-two tandem the Lions have been waiting for all year. David Montgomery had the long touchdown run. Jameer Gibbs with two touchdowns himself. And how about Amon Ross St. Brown? He catches 156 yards. This was a fun game to watch. It should have been the national game over the Giants and the Cowboys, that's for sure. But this, no doubt about it, the shootout of the week. And how about the Lions, guys? 7-2. and two. We're talking about who the best teams in football are right now. We always mention the Chiefs. We always mention the Eagles. The Lions are very much up there. They're one of only three teams that have two or fewer losses, along with the two teams that played in the Super Bowl last year. So the Lions are for real. They're not far behind, that's for sure. I mean, the Lions, I think it's time to start considering them as a top five team, maybe even a top three team in the NFL, probably in the in the NFC as well. Well, it's their run game, too. David Montgomery returned to the lineup, but, I mean, that didn't stop Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs uh, had an absolutely to- awesome day, 77 yards, two touchdowns on 14 carries. Montgomery also combined for 116 rushing yards, one touchdown, and 12 carries on the day. So, I mean, their passing game was great. 
uh, Jared Goff has been playing absolutely amazing all all year. He's back to form, back you know, back to when he was, um, you know, with the Rams. Maybe even he just this past you know Sunday alone, he threw for three hundred and thirty three yards with two touchdowns. And like I said, now the running game is back for the Lions too. So that's going to be they're even going to get more dangerous now uh, go, going forward. And I don't really know what else to make of the Chargers at this point. Chargers obviously Lions are a very good team, but. Defense was pretty much optional for the Chargers today. I mean, so on the Lions side as well, but only real resemblance of defense. Um, this whole game was really a pick from the Lions early in the game. And other than that, like I said, defense is pretty much an option for both these teams today. Um, the Chargers, yeah, like I said, I don't really know what else to make of the Chargers at this point. They, they're very inconsistent, and uh, I would at least hope they make the playoffs this year, but we'll have to kind of see. Zach, uh Zach, what was your snoozer of the week? Uh, snoozer of the week. Oh, wait, I didn't. Yeah, Justin didn't give a shootout. I didn't. I didn't either. <laughs> but that, but that, that was my. This is this is my uh, shootout of the week as yeah. well. Um, I don't really have much else to say to this. I mean, Justin, what is your shootout? Is this also your shootout of the week? Probably is. I, would, I can only. Yeah, imagine. but I would also shine some light on the Commanders and the Seahawks. I know that game wasn't as high scoring as the Lions and the Chargers, but the Commanders and Sam Howe. Sam Howe's actually. That has been playing pretty decent uh, the last last few weeks. I know he hasn't. I know he's been playing well against Philly, but kind of a roller coaster ride for him. But he had three hundred and twelve mm-hmm. yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, two twenty nine for forty four on passing, and Geno Smith as well with three hundred and sixty nine passing yards, two touchdowns, thirty one for forty seven pass attempts. So, I mean, that, that game should have a, you know, I would shine a light on that game as well. I yeah. know it's not high scoring, but the Commanders could still still get a playoff spot in the NFC, still could yeah. contend. And, uh, and Seattle, obviously, they're neck and neck with the 49ers in that division, too. Yeah, unfortunately, 49ers seem to be back, unfortunately for the Seahawks, but definitely can still get a wild card spot. The Seahawks definitely, I mean, Smith played pretty well. Geno Smith, uh, 368 total yards. Uh, That's pretty nice. I mean, two touchdowns. Seahawks, though, I'm concerned about the Seahawks. They couldn't get into the end zone all game. They had to settle for five field goal attempts, and of course, the you know, the last field goal at the end end there as well. But yeah, I was I'm definitely concerned about the Seahawks just lack of a uh, lack of ability to get into the end zone all game once they get past mm-hmm. that twenty yard line. Uh shout out to the commanders though for keeping them out of the end zone. But for being one of the top teams in the NFC, I would kind of expect more from the Seahawks and that's something they're gonna have to definitely try to, you know, uh, clean up as going down going down the stretch here. Zach, what was your snoozer of the week? I'm gonna go with Titans and the Bucks. This game just felt like bleh, the entire game. And I know the easy answer for most is probably Colts Patriots, but you know what? That game was at least close. The Bucks and the Titans never was close. Never were anything all that exciting about it. Baker played well through two touchdowns. Mike Evans had a touchdown catch. Titans are uh, dumpster fire at this point. Time for them to think about their future. Will Levis didn't play all that great. I don't know if Derrick Henry's around for the long term, but the Titans, of all the teams in the AFC South, they're the ones that just don't seem to be going anywhere at this point. So I'm going to give it to uh, Bucks-Titans. Yeah, yeah um, Titans were playing from behind virtually the entire game. Couldn't really establish any run game. I mean, like you said, Zach, Derrick Henry only had 24 yards the entire game. Uh, Bucks defense played really good too. Zach Levis four times and intercepted him once and didn't even allow them in the end zone one time. Didn't even, you know, no touchdowns for, for the Titans this whole game. So definitely, yeah, 
you know, domination uh, by the Buccaneers. Or Buccaneers are not even that much of a good team. So Titans have to figure something out going down the stretch here, like you said, Zach. My snooze of the week. I mean, there are other. There's definitely other games you can choose from. Uh, I'm going to go with Jets Raiders Sunday Night Football. Um, Zach Wilson should never be leading anything, uh, let alone rushing yards. Uh, Brees Hall only had 28 yards on the ground. Zach Wilson, like I said, led the team, ironically, with 54 rushing yards. Um, yeah, I mean, Zach Wilson, Aiden O'Connell, QB battle. I don't know what else to – I mean, what else do you expect? Game was definitely a snoozer. Um, you know, Zach Wilson, he led the – like I said, led the team in rushing yards and led the game in passing yards. And whenever that happens, you know it's not going to be a good game. Uh, and, yeah, this game was just pretty much a snoozer from the beginning. Um, New York had opportunities for sure. The Jets had opportunities at the end of the game to win this game. But all three of their scoring drives in the second half were interrupted by penalties. And, um, yeah, so Jets, like I said, enter the game last in the league, converting red zone opportunities in touchdowns into touchdowns with only uh, with like a fourth of the time, uh, 23.8%. And um, only one drive, like I said, actually got into the end zone all game. So very, very boring. Um, you know, just not even good defense, just very bad offense altogether. And it was a pretty bad, pretty bad game for Sunday night football. Justin, what was your snoozer of the week? I'm gonna go Jets Raiders. What I mean, first of all, that intro yeah. before the game. That's that's why I mean that's why they didn't flex the game out because they wanted to. They they thought it was you know. You know, not a little nice thing to do for whatever this movie was, Heidi or whatever it's called, that was released 50 years ago, uh, you know, during that game, and they stopped the Jets and the Raiders. I mean, what are you doing? What, are you, what, is, what is NBC doing? I mean, flex the game out, NFL. I mean, it's just, that was just, that was a boring game to begin with and a boring game to end with. Also, the other New York team, the Giants, Giants and Cowboys, that game was an absolute blowout and an absolute snooze fest. Both both the both teams there in New York with with snooze fest this week. The Jets obviously losing the close one, and the Giants getting completely blown out by the Cowboys. Both both of those games are pretty much my snoozer of the week here. Yeah, I mean at least Cowboys had offense, but. It was so lopsided. That's what made it such a snoozer. I mean, unfair. It basically was an unfair fight right from the beginning. Um, fresh off a loss of the Eagles, Cowboys won revenge, and basically the Giants were the punching bags. Giants averaged 1.2 yards per play in the first half, and Cowboys averaged 8.8 yards per play in the first half. So go figure. Do the math. Never was a fair fight. And, yeah, it was a pretty pretty bad game. No one expected the Giants to even be competitive. Do you see the final game. yardage total? No, 640 I mean, to no. 172. That's almost 500 yards in an NFL game. You usually see yeah. that when Alabama's playing FCS Southeast or something like that. When was the Broncos? I mean, I look at the Broncos and when the Dolphins played the Broncos, I wonder what the, I'm trying to see what that was. The they set the yardage, yardage record, I believe, in that game. On that I game, yeah. Because I know Miami had. 376, oh yeah. 726 like, yards. Yeah, two Bronco, Broncos actually had more. So, or well, Bron Broncos had more than the yeah. Giants did, did, did. So actually, even that game was less of a, uh, even even that game was less of a margin than, uh, than this game was. But yeah, no, Cowboys absolutely dominated the Giants. No one expected that the Giants even put up a fair fight. What did we miss? Saints, Vikings? Yeah. I don't think we touched on. Josh Dobbs. Dobbs. 
Might be yep. the guy in Minnesota. Definitely yep. might be the net future starting quarterback for the Vikings going forward. I know Kirk Cousins, as I said uh, last week, is, is a free agent uh, at the end of yep. the season. And obviously he's out for the rest of the year with the Achilles injury. But Josh Dobbs, he, he might be the future in Minnesota. He's going to be a starting quarterback somewhere. Whether it's yeah, Minnesota or the yeah. Vikings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, when Kirk Cousins comes back, he'll he'll take that he'll take that job back. But yeah, I mean, uh, Josh Dobbs. I mean, we just talked about Atlanta, Atlanta needing a quarterback big time. Uh, I know <laughs> might be a little awkward going to Atlanta, but yeah, I mean, that's definitely he's definitely gonna if he keeps playing like he did, you know, like like he has these last uh, two games, he's definitely gonna lock up a job next season. Uh, just uh, just under a fourth of the time, so uh, 22.5%. Danielle Hunter, he's in Defensive Player of the Year conversation for the Vikings. Uh, had a sack to maintain the league, uh, the league lead this season. Um, and like I said, a fourth of the time he pass rushes, he does get a sack on the quarterback. So that's another big thing for the Vikings, that Danielle Hunter uh, big, big-time uh, player on the defense on the other side of the ball for the Vikings, and that's something to look forward to going down the stretch as well. Jameis Winston did come into the game um, with Carr being injured. Uh, got exactly what we thought you would get out of Jameis Winston. Yeah. <laughs> two impressive touchdowns, really fun touchdowns, but also paired that with two interceptions. Uh, as always, Jameis Winston continues to go 500 when it comes to TD interception ratio. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jameis Winston will probably be playing uh, for the foreseeable future. We don't really know how long Carr is going to be out, but I'm interested. I mean, if nothing else, it'll make the Saints more enjoyable to watch. It'll make the Saints fun to watch again. So I'm all for Jameis Winston coming in, um, well, and we'll see what he can do for the Saints going down the line. Say, uh, Steelers, Packers, we already talked about. Titans, Bucks, we already talked about. Niners, Jaguars, we already talked about. Um, I don't really know what else. I don't think we really missed out on much else. I know the Patriots. Uh, all I have to really say about the Patriots Cowboys is I think Patriots Jones Colts officially uh, Patriots Colts, yeah, yeah. But they even they even said about Belichick potentially being fired. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I still don't think that's going to happen. But a lot of people were saying that even Belichick might be fired. Uh, I think that would have happened already, maybe even this week, uh, early today, or you know, early uh, Monday or whatever. But yeah, no, I don't think that's going to happen either. But Mac Jones is definitely going to be benched and. We'll be seeing Bailey Sappy for the foreseeable future in in Roxborough and, and for the and for the uh, Patriots. So, new week's resolutions, guys. Zach, what was your new week's resolution? Uh, my new week's resolution is yeah, basically the Patriots. It's time to tank. You're, it's over. You're mm-hmm. two and eight. You're going to be picking the top three. I don't know if you're going to go get a quarterback, but I do know what they could go get is Marvin Harrison Jr., the best player in college football. The Patriots have needed a wide receiver for a very long time. So at this stage, if you're a Patriots fan, you, you, you I don't know about losing every other game the rest of the season, but you your season's over, and the only thing you really have to look forward to now is to get a top-five pick, and if you do that, then you're going to get one of the quarterbacks. You're either going to get Caleb Williams or Drake May, or you're going to get Marvin Harrison Jr. So the Patriots – of all the teams that are bad, they could turn it around the quickest if they can just nail one of those guys. Um, I'm going to go with college basketball for my uh, new week's resolution. Maryland basketball, uh, supposed to be a team going into this season that looked ready to fight in the Big Ten title against maybe even some like Purdue and Michigan State. They've been pretty bad so far 
uh, lost losses to Davidson and UAB in the Asheville Classic, and they absolutely fell apart early in the season so far. It's only been three games, but last season, apart from the game at Minnesota, they lost every single conference road game. They did win every single conference home game, but this team under Kevin Willard has a big, big time, or a big problem, I mean, winning on the road, and it looks like so far that trend is continuing going into this season for, like I said, a team that should be competing, uh, at least be competitive in the Big Ten for college basketball this year. So, yeah, Maryland, they're on my – it's a new week's resolution for them. Have to learn how to win on the road to, to have any chance of being a competitive team in the Big Ten uh, this year in college basketball. Justin, what was your new week's resolution? So my new week's resolution is the NFL on Fox and some of these t- and some of the TV networks as well. So the – what I would say is for the 4 o'clock game, I mean, when the Giants or the Cowboys were completely lopsided and the Cowboys were winning, they kind of they should have switched over to the Commanders and Seahawks, which they usually do that. They usually mm-hmm. will switch over to a different game. But here's the thing. They, they do it at the wrong time. I, I heard that the Eagles and the Jets won what, during that game they, they, they didn't even play the start of that game. It was still on 49ers-Browns. I know that game was close, but in the New York market, in the Philly market, I guess they didn't see the game. I mean, they could have done that for could have done that for Giants-Cowboys, Giants going over to Commanders-Seahawks. Fox, got to get better at switching games over during the game, especially yeah. when it's a blowout. And that's the game of the week. I mean, they, they should have just switched it over to Commanders-Seahawks. No, I noticed that too. Yeah, yeah I noticed Same. that too. All right, guys, let's get to our interview. Awesome interview. Going to Kansas City, talking to some Chiefs, uh, some Chiefs football mostly, and then uh, Worlds have been pretty bad over the last three, four years here. What do they have to do to get back? But mostly Chiefs talk, uh, leading out of their bye here and going into the next week. And so without further ado, let's head to Kansas City. Okay, we now head to the Midwest and talk to Dana Hughes. Uh, Danon Hughes, uh, color analyst for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Danon, awesome to have you on. Really thank you for your time. Where else can we find you? Where else can we listen to you before we get started here talking about the Chiefs uh, ahead of the season off their bye week? Oh, well, Jared, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. This is obviously a great time to be a Chiefs fan and be a part of the Chiefs organization. And uh, yeah, my name is Danon Hughes, and I, do, I am the color analyst for the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. I also... Uh, I have the privilege and honor and I'm blessed to call college baseball, college football, college basketball for the ESPN networks and some with the Big Ten network. So uh, all the sports that I grew up playing and, and watching and being a great fan of, I got a chance to play college and professional baseball as well as professional football. Um, so just being able to stay in that zone is kind of feel like I still got one foot in the locker room is always kind of cool for me. So I've been doing that for, gosh, 15-plus years. Uh, to my knowledge, I am the only analyst uh, that broadcasts games for all four major sports, which is pretty unique uh, when you consider most most times the analyst is the special – he specializes in just the one sport that he played. So I've been fortunate that – those networks have given me a platform to stay connected to all three sports on the college level. 
Yeah, I would definitely be broadcasting that. That's awesome. Yeah, only only one that you can think of that has done yeah. all four sports at a pro level. That's that's really cool. Uh, I, so we'll get into your playing career. I know you played with the Chiefs as well, obviously. We'll get into that maybe a little bit later. But I do want to start with the team in general as a whole. Chiefs obviously just coming off their bye, win, uh, bye week with that impressive win against the Dolphins. Some people still think the Chiefs offense, though, looks a little off. I mean, it, it, very similar to the, the Eagles right now. Eagles being the best team record-wise, anyhow, in the NFL. But a lot of people say their offense also looks kind of off. And same thing with the Chiefs last year. I mean, Chiefs, maybe this time of the season, they might not have looked as hot as people thought they were going to look, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You know, wide receivers, kind of a big issue for the Chiefs right now. But what do you say about the people out there that are saying the Chiefs offense just doesn't look as top-notch as it should be, and this might be a problem down the stretch? Like, what do you say to those those people heading into the next Just year? wait. <laughs> I say just wait. Uh there's nobody, to my knowledge, I've been around the game of football for a long time. Nobody's won a Super Bowl in November. Uh, yep. I don't think, uh, I, I'm sure that the, the the fans in Philly are probably saying the same thing, but I'm sure in that locker room, those guys recognize it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you have to be in a position to always get better. And there are some teams, and you, if you look across the landscape of the NFL, there are some teams that have played their best football already. And they have nothing left to add. They have nothing left to grow in. And those are the teams that usually falter as you get to week 14, 15, 16, 17, and into the playoffs. So for me, I am happy in some respect that we're still there's still growth and opportunity within our offense. Uh, the dominance of the defense, to think about, like, I don't know in recent history where we've seen a team have the best quarterback, the best tight end in the game, uh, and the best def- one of the best, if not the best, defensive linemen in the game, and we're talking about just the defense. You have an MVP, a Super Bowl MVP, uh, a record-breaking tight end uh, on the offensive side, and the story of the first half of the season has been what the defense has done. To me, that's a great that's a great attribute that we're not we haven't arrived on the offensive side. But imagine what this game will look like. Imagine what the Chiefs will look like as we wind down in the stretch and we're playing the Bengals going into the playoffs. We got to play the Chargers later in the season. We got a uh, you know a little bit of a gauntlet. We have the Bills still at home. Uh, got to go up to New England for Monday Night Football. Uh, all these different teams that are going to play us just like we are the, the Super Bowl champs, and we haven't even touched the ceiling yet of what our capabilities will be. Now, if this question arises in six weeks and we're still talking about it, then there might be some concern. But to me, halfway through, I'm okay with uh, the, the progress that we're making. Talk about the defensive side of the ball, though. Chiefs, a lot of people look at them as an offensive team. A lot of that's because of Patrick Mahomes, obviously, and what he can do, the magic he can do on the field. But, the, I mean, Steve, Steve, uh, Steve Stagnoli, excuse me. I mean, do you think he's been underrated this whole time? And do you think he might have a ho- head coaching job next year if he continues the success he's had so far with the Chiefs? I mean, it's arguably the best defense that they've had under Patrick Mahomes so far since he's been there since 2018. Oh, absolutely. Uh, to me, it is the best defense, and the way they're executing on defense is better than how they're executing. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the way they're doing it versus the numbers that they put up, 
Uh, you only allowed one team to score over 21 points. Um, to me, has been phenomenal, especially in this day and age where all the rules are leaning towards the offense. Uh, it's about high strike, quick strike type of plays, the spreading of offenses against this defense. And don't forget how young our defense is. I mean, you consider the arsenal that we have <clears throat> on defense is very special, especially in the back end. We had the Fab Five last year, five rookies contribute. One of those guys is down for the year on an injury, but we have four second-year guys that are contributing in a major fashion uh, in the back end. And then with Nick Bolton, our team leader in tackles, the leader on defense going down, we haven't missed a step with Drew Tranquil, the, uh, the acquiree from the Chargers coming in, and then Chris Jones being Chris Jones. So uh, I know we can talk a lot about the offense and, and, and what Patrick Mahomes is and has been, but you're right. This is the best defense that he's been playing with throughout his career. Yeah, 15.9 points per game so far allowed. Only, uh, I think it's the best in the league, actually. And it's actually the best the team's had since their 9-0 start back in 2013. So a great you know defensive uh, start for the team so far. And I think it's actually one of the most underrated parts of uh you know of this team in general what about the wide receivers though i think and i know you've already touched on it a little bit in the intro when we started talking but the wide receivers i mean patrick mahomes on pace to have one of his worst passer rating years of his career as mm -hmm. you know in the nfl were fans kind of upset they didn't maybe make a move at the trade deadline to help maybe get some help on the passing game for patrick mahomes I think there's always a concern about that, and people will probably automatically look back to Aaron Rodgers' tenure with the Green Bay Packers. I think the biggest knock up in Green Bay is that they had, what, a three-time MVP, and they never drafted a guy before Devontae Adams. I don't think they drafted a guy earlier than the second round or something like that. So there's always that concern is, are you using or – uh, not utilizing greatness in the best way by surrounding them with greatness. Um, but what I can tell you is that in using a second-round pick on Rasheed Rice, an early-round pick on on uh, Sky Moore uh, in the past years, having veterans that are surrounding them, yeah, we'd like to see if there was if there was a grading process for the first half of the season. You'd have to say that the wide receivers, as far as consistency, uh, hasn't been up to par. But that doesn't mean that that's all they have in the tank. Uh, but, yeah, I think the question is valid. If fans, if you don't see super greatness from Patrick Mahomes, you automatically think it's either going to be the offensive line or the wide receivers. The offensive line has done uh, a solid job protecting him. The wide receivers have to step up on their part. So, Eagles coming up, obviously, next game for the Chiefs. Do you personally believe the Eagles and Chiefs are another uh, crash course in the Super Bowl coming up this year? I'll tell you what, man. There's, there's some strong teams out there. I think Buffalo. Buffalo is one of those teams that kind of resembled the Chiefs a few years ago where didn't play their, their best football early in the season. If you remember the Chiefs mm -hmm. uh, before that first Super Bowl, uh, what was three and four or four and three? before reeling off, like, you know, 17 straight wins or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd still put some 
some uh, some confidence behind the Bills. Obviously, the Bengals after their one and three start, four and zero in their last four games uh, before this past weekend, uh, they could be a viable team. Don't sleep on the Steelers or the Ravens either. I think there's some sneaky teams on that side. If you're talking about the AFC, NFC, you got the Niners. I mean, to me, the the crash course between the Niners, the Eagles. Uh, the Cowboys, uh, the, the the Lions. How about the Lions, the Detroit Lions as well, with only two losses there. So there's still a lot of football to be played. It would be it would be a cool story to have uh, part two with the Kelsey brothers going head to head in Vegas for uh, this Super Bowl. Uh, but you know we'll see how it all unfolds. But I think it'd be a cool story to see two teams repeat getting to the promised land. Yeah, no, and um, I mean, I know you kind of touched on it already, but like more from like the offensive side of the ball, like what do you guys have to see as fans in order to be more confident of them making a deep playoff run? For me, it's just blowing out teams and taking care of business of teams when they're clearly much better than them. I mean, hmm. we all know the Denver team they lost. I mean, Broncos they lost to, that was an unfortunate loss, but even some other teams they played this year, they've been much better, but they still allow the team to hang around a little bit too long. And it's been, it's, it's led to some scary finishes. So like what, from like a fan perspective, like what do they have to see or what are they clamoring to see as we head into the second half, second half of the season here for the chiefs to be more confident that they're going to be able to make a playoff run down the stretch. So I, I think what a lot of fans fail to realize in the NFL is the true parody that goes on in the NFL that, I think our minds kind of gravitate towards high school and college football. And if you see Alabama State play Alabama and you think that one team is significantly better than another, they're going to blow them out. And that happens on the college level. That happens on the high school level. Very rarely does it happen in the NFL. So if you look over the course of Patrick Mahomes' career, like he's probably one of the leaders during that tenure or any – stretch of six years of winning close games. There's an art to learning how to win close games and knowing how to win close games versus not knowing how to win close games. You look at the Chargers, a team that has routinely over years, whether it was Phillip Rivers or now Justin Herbert, routinely have figured out how to lose close games. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, like to me, that's not a knock. Yeah, everybody would love if you're at GEHA field at Arrowhead Stadium Monday night against the Eagles coming up. Everybody would love for that to be a blowout. But the fact remains is that Patrick Mahomes is going to be an architect of a team, a leader of a team that's going to figure out ways to win, and he's done that throughout his career. So I don't necessarily think that blowing out teams during a regular season automatically equates to a Super Bowl champion-esque football I think we saw that uh, the one team that I can think maybe was close to that was the Tom Brady team that only lost one game, that went the entire regular season uh, undefeated. But they got to the Super Bowl, and guess what? They lost. Um, so it's not necessarily a, a recipe for success. Um, what I want is a team that's competitive, that when, it's, when it comes down to the last couple of series of the game, we know how to seal the deal, and that's what we've seen with the Chiefs. So I don't expect anything different. Of course, if you run into a, a juggernaut like the Bengals uh, last two years ago where we lost to them in the AFC yep. Championship, like you don't want to see that happen. Uh, but at the same time, 
I don't think if we're fully healthy, I don't care how good other teams are playing. If we're fully healthy in January, I'm not sure many teams want to play us, especially if they have to come to Arrowhead for the sixth straight year. Are fans concerned about the potential of maybe teams figuring out how to lock down Travis Kelsey? I mean, I'm not going to, I know we, I'm sure you talk about Travis Kelsey at length. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but <laughs> I mean, he has over, I think I saw on, on the athletic or something. I think it's like a fourth of the team's catches of almost a fourth of the receiving yards on, you know, the offensive, offensive side of the ball too. I mean, I'm not going to bring up Swift. I'm not, I don't want to talk about Taylor <laughs> Swift. I mean, neither, neither of us do at this point, but I mean, what I will ask you, though, are fans concerned about teams maybe finding a way to lock him down? Because, like I said, like we said already in this interview, I mean, other receivers for the Chiefs have been struggling. So if they find a way to lock him down, and or God forbid he gets an injury, I mean, just describe that. I mean, what are the fans thinking just about how vital Travis Kelsey is and, you know, their su- chances of going far, their success in going far? Well, uh, make no mistake about it, his durability has been exceptional. Uh, throughout his entire career. Uh, the fact that he missed that first game against the Detroit Lions, to me, was a huge factor in uh, our inability to win that game. But his durability is huge. But I, I contend that every team in the NFL who has a superstar player, whether it's a defensive lineman, a linebacker, a wide receiver, or a tight end, or even a running back, you don't want to lose that player. Um You know, you look at the Minnesota Vikings, the fact that what they've been able to do over the past couple of weeks with Josh Dobbs without Justin Jefferson is amazing. But when Justin Jefferson went down, there was a lot of concern. Um, So I I feel like we could be a team. We've shown it with Noah Gray as a backup tight end, with the the, uh, elevation of of Rasheed Rice on our offense. Uh, to me, we can still be as a complete team. May not be as potent without when you lose the best tight end to ever play the game. Uh, but I feel confident in our entire team. I think the team does as well. But, you know, there's going to be a time. I mean, everybody gets old, age is undefeated. There's going to be a time where uh, Travis Kelsey, his availability, uh, his potence is going to be questioned, is going to be negated just a bit. That's where the rest of the team has to rally around it. Who, I mean, so who is the team – who are people most afraid of, though, going into the playoffs? I know you've already said uh, teams to look out for, both on the NFC and AFC side, but who's a team right now that – whether it be the first round of the playoffs, if they don't get the bye, you know, wild card matchup, like who is the team that the fans are saying, like, God, no, we do not want to see you because we have a, either a bad matchup, they're better than their records say. I mean, what is that team so far uh, for the Chiefs right now? Yeah, I think it's probably divided amongst the fan base in the Chiefs' kingdom. Uh, we'll have to. We will have had played the on the AFC side. We will obviously play within our division, but we will have already played Miami, like you said. We uh, we have the Bills. We have the Bengals coming up. Like those three teams are headed towards that playoff uh, zone. To beat a team twice in a season is tough. We were able to accomplish. We weren't able to accomplish that last year with the Bengals. We weren't able to accomplish that in previous years with the Bills. Um, so to have that be the onus on our shoulders could be a tough battle. Plus, maybe here, like there are people that maybe are tired of those matchups. Maybe want to see something different. Um, I'd say a scary team, like I mentioned, Mike Tomlin and what he's able to do with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, where they stand now, to me, is 
is something that is scary. Like, that's a team that you would look at, okay, if you're playing in a wild card round, and even if you're playing them at home, you know, with their pedigree, with their history, I don't think they'd go down without a fight. Same thing with the Ravens as well. Now, when you get to the AFC Championship, I mean, it, you're getting the best of the best regardless. But I'd say the Miami Dolphins, how potent that team can be, um, you know, not many teams are going to hold them to 14 points. So you, you have to believe that they'd be better a second time around. So maybe those three teams are the ones that come out to me. That's interesting that you would say the Steelers are one of the best. Um, I mean, not one of the best. I mean, a team to, be, to watch out for, though. I mean, I think six and three right now, I think a lot of people would say they're a lot worse of a team than six and three would say. But you actually think the Steelers could actually end up making a run here, uh, you know, down the stretch and into the playoffs as well. I mean, what is it about the yeah. Steelers that just – Besides the obvious, the defense, is there anything else really about the Steelers that makes you afraid of them? Well, I, I think one to me, when you have a coach that has had the success of Mike Tomlin mm -hmm. and now you are adding in the success on the field, six wins at this point is, is pretty darn good. I played for some great teams in the 90s with the Chiefs. We were, we were 12 and four my rookie year. We went to the AFC Championship. We were 13 and three, two other years in 95 and 97. And in each of those years, if you look back at our schedule, look at, back at the results in those games, we could have easily been 8-8. Eight and eight. Could have easily been 9-7 and seven or 7-9. Seven and nine. But there was something about the makeup of the team, the energy of the team, that kind of catapulted us to those double-digit wins. That's what I see with the Steelers, is that success breeds success. Confidence breeds confidence. And as long as they're able to win, even if they're playing inferior teams, I don't know what the strength of their schedule is offhand, but they're winning. And confidence builds from winning, especially if you got some veteran leadership on the team. Uh, they, they like to lean on the run game, take some pressure off of Pickett. They got George Pickens uh, out on the outside who can be an automatic mismatch against any DB. Uh, and then their defense, as you mentioned. So I feel like the more life, that the Steelers get with wins, even if they're close wins against questionable teams, the more life that they may have at the end of the season. And they could be a concern for many. And then the Bills and the Bengals and the Ravens and the, and the, and the Dolphins, to me, are right up there. So you played for the Chiefs 1993 to 1998. Um, uh, I know you were you know, a wide receiver yourself and a special teams player. I do want to ask you, I know a lot of people always ask how the game has changed from maybe like the lineman standpoint. I mean, lineman, much more leaner, a lot less of a run-heavy game. People might even talk about how the quarterback has changed, play schemes have changed, but people don't really talk about a whole lot about how wide receiver play has changed specifically. And I would love to get your take on what you see watching the game now compared to how you played it back then, you know, close to, you know, well, 30 years ago now, what is like, what is the biggest change between like just at the wide receiver position that you can really point out right now? It has been like one of the biggest changes that from what you see when you watch a game today. So, so it's funny because the way I would answer that question is I would tell all the viewers, the listeners, close your eyes and think about running a slant route with Steve Atwater, Ronnie Lott, Eddie Robinson, uh, uh, Smith, uh, from the uh, the the, the uh, Denver Broncos, all these 250 pound safeties that the rules 
were not geared towards them backing off of us or hitting us in the strike zone. They were going to decapitate us. And now you have a whole different game. Now, maybe the speed is different now, but I would love to play as a wide receiver to know that I could go across the middle and I'm going to be protected, um, that the spreading of the offenses, uh, the rules of bump and run, man-to-man coverage, uh, what, the, what the DBs can and can't do, how they can grab, when they can push, what they can do, and so on. Like, I'm not saying it's an easier game now, but because it's less physical, it makes it more, I would say, more efficient of a game. Uh, so that's different. And then even on special teams, I was a special team captain for four of my six years on the kickoff coverage and punt coverage and the, the crackback blocks, the cut blocks, the, the wedge. Uh, you don't have any of that now. So to me, it's just a different ball game. It's probably a little bit more entertaining now than maybe it was then uh, because of the aerial attacks. But uh, from a complete football standpoint, having to be engaged in every play, I still take my era of football. Yeah, I mean, again, it's that kind of the argument we always have with football, no matter what position it is, it's, and everything just seems to be leaner and yeah. faster and Kind of like you said too, a lot of it is also a lot more protection from the, oh, yeah. you know, the rule book, the refs themselves. So, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's how you see it then. So, I mean, people, wide receivers today are just a lot smaller than they used to be back then and probably a lot fast. Or, well, the cornerbacks, I should say, the defensive backs are a lot faster and oh, yeah. smaller than maybe you have you seen in the past. I bet you would have loved to have that protection back in the day, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but speaking of which, though, I mean, I know you were a special teams captain as well, which you just alluded to. I do want to get your take on the kickoff. Do you think the kickoff will be something that will be done away with in the next like two to three years? Now, I know they've been talking about it already, but haven't really seen any action taken on that as of yet. What are your personal thoughts? I hate, on the I hate the new rules. I mean, if there's any one particular rule that I really hate, that's probably one. I think the excitement of a kickoff coverage, I understand the health, uh, the, the, the propensity of concussions and, and serious injury. To think about the dynamic of running full speed down the field for 40 to 60 yards uh, at a full speed clip with other guys running at a 10 to 30 yard full speed towards you and the collisions that happen. I've been knocked out, knocked unconscious, you know, lost my lost feeling in my body, uh, had concussions. Uh, I get it. I just think that it's a component of the game that really brings some excitement uh, to it. I would not be surprised if it's legislated out of the game, but I'd be sad that it would be. Uh, I know, you know, the opening kickoff of Arrowhead Stadium, there's nothing more exciting in all of football than that opening kickoff when you're going down to try to decleat, decapitate, or whatever the, the return guy, and then the fans getting that extra juice from that exhilarating moment. Uh, but I get the safety and well-being now is more of a premium than it was when I played. Uh, it'd be sad to, to legislate it out because I think there's still some gamesmanship or some aspect of the game that can really help. Uh, you know, if you're trying to squib kick, a uh, team needs a jolt. There's, you know, there's they're down by two scores and just are about to receive the ball with two two minutes, 30 seconds left, maybe taking a chance. How about if you are down by four points with three seconds left? You know, the the laterals, uh, 
you know, all of the different actions that can happen on a kickoff. I just think it keeps everybody engaged to the final moment. And I'd hate to see that all of a sudden the NFL decides that onside kicks, no more. Squib kicks, no more. Opportunities to, with one second left in the game, to um, to take the ball and be able to lateral it and maybe have something magical happen and take that, steal that away from fans. I just don't like that idea. Damien, loved our talk right now. My last question for you, I'm going to ask before we head off, before we head out here, excuse me. I'm sure you, I mean, you take a lot of pride playing in the day that you played a lot more physical back then, for sure, like we just talked about. What are your thoughts, though, on the, just the state in general on the foul calling? I mean, the foul calling, a lot of people would argue, has gotten out of hand. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's ruined games, even some, it's ruined even some games. So just overall, because obviously, like we just said, back in the day, you've had less foul calls. It was a lot less protection for players back then. So what are your overall thoughts just on the foul calling today? I mean, the state of it all, like how it seems like it's very wishy-washy sometimes. It doesn't really seem to be like a clear cut what a foul is, what a foul isn't. So like just in general, like I know I'm sure you love the protection for the players, but at the same time, it can it can really take away from the game, and is, is that how you feel yourself on your side? Yeah, of the yeah. I think that you know, anytime you try to make adjustments in any league, there's knee jerk reactions to it. I don't like some uh, of the foul calls, specifically hits on quarterback. To me, I think that there should be a legislation in regards to reviewing hits uh, on quarterbacks, late hits, etc. And there should be a minimum speed. I should say a maximum speed or minimum, I'm sorry, minimum speed that you can replay a play. Because the game happens so fast. And just because we're sitting at home, somebody in New York is reviewing a video and they can go in slow-mo, like, I don't I don't think that people truly understand how quick a, a, a decision is made. How lowering your helmet or the or the ball carrier lowering their helmet or lowering their your strike zone. You're going and you got a square bead line to somebody's midsection, textbook tackle, and then they shift, they move, they drop their helmet, and now all of a sudden I can be fined, I can be penalized, I can be thrown out of the game for what's naturally part of the game. Uh, you know, you can think back to Patrick Mahomes' first year as a starting quarterback, one of the biggest plays in the game in the AFC Championship where – Tom Brady went on to win the game in overtime was a phantom hands to the head call from Chris Jones. Like that should be reviewable. Um, I, I understand the predicament that the officials are put in because the game is so fast, but I feel like with technology now, you can do some things to negate the pressures that they have to call something at a, at a moment's notice that could change the impact of the game. So I don't like that those aspects of the game. I feel like we could do a better job maybe adopting some things that happen in the college football, what college football is doing. Yeah. Uh, the NFL will never admit that because they don't want to ever seem like they're copying off anybody. They want to make it seem like everybody's yeah. copying off of them. But I feel like there's some, there's some give and take to make the game more pure and take some of the pressure off the officials. Yeah, it's also harder copying from NCAA, too, because everything's just so much faster in the NFL. Yeah. But, but to your point, though, I mean, I like that idea, the minimum speed to you yeah. know uh, review plays, because we've said it before. Many people have said it in the past, too. Like, everything seems worse when you review things in slow motion. Everything's going to seem worse. So, yeah, I, I like that idea. I mean, I think it's a really good idea because – 
you know, if you watch things in faster pace, things might not have seem, uh, if you watch things at a faster speed, things aren't going to seem nearly as bad as they do when they're slow motion. So great idea. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm all for it. Let's do it. <laughs> well, well, Dan, this has been awesome. I really thank you for your time. I'm sure people are excited that KU basketball is back. KU football had a good season uh, yeah. as well. Jayhawks playing, played pretty well so far. Had a little bit of a down stretch over the last like three, four weeks here, but basketball is back. Uh, number one team in the country, so I'm yeah. sure everything's exciting in that. On that, oh yeah, just with sh- sh- the woods down there. Yeah, with the Jayhawks, it is definitely excited around here. Uh, uh, here in Kansas City, University of Kansas is only about 40 minutes away, so you got a lot of fans that sure. uh, love the Jayhawk program, and I think it's special and should be celebrated that you have a college team. Very rarely, if you think throughout the landscape of college sports, not very often are you talking about ranked, highly ranked basketball programs or basketball schools that have a good football program. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So usually, whether it's Michigan or some, somebody from the Big Ten, you might see those teams have good football, good basketball. But of the Blue Bloods, the Kentuckys, the Kansas, uh, you know, UCLA's or whatever, you don't very rarely see where both teams are dominant. So to be able to have a glimpse of that this year has been fun here in the Chiefs' kingdom. Yeah, you can you can say very few teams. I mean, like maybe like Alabama, like you said, the Blue Bloods kind of Duke. Duke has had a pretty good basketball uh, football year. UNC has had a decent basketball uh, football yeah. year as well. But it's so sporadic. It's it's, yeah. it's, oh, yeah. it's 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 never consistent. So hopefully, KU yeah. can get to the point where they're they're consistent with uh, their competitiveness in in football, and then stay with their dominance in basketball. Yeah, it'll be unfair, many people would probably say. <laughs> yeah, right. But, yeah, to have that much success on both teams. But, hey, we'll see. Well, Danny, this has been awesome. Definitely we'll be in touch. Love to have you on again. Talk some more football. Talk some more Chiefs. Maybe if we get uh, further down into the season here and they get into the playoffs, maybe have you on again, talk some Chiefs, see where they're at, and uh, head from there. But, like I said, thanks so much again for coming on. We'll have to oh, no problem, man. Soon. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. Yeah, we'll be in touch, all right? All right. All right, take care. Okay, let's finish up the show with our intakes and outtakes of the week. Justin, we'll start with you. What's your intake of the week? My intake of the week is C.J. Stroud and the way he's playing is putting the Houston Texans on the map. Also could put the Houston Texans on the map in the offseason for a free agent either on, on either side of the ball. Same thing with D'Amico Ryans as well as the head coach. Could they attract a defensive or, or offensive player in the mm-hmm. offseason? Could trade for one? could sign a big name in free agency. The Texans are going to be a very attractive destination this offseason with C.J. Stroud at quarterback and D'Amico Ryans as the head coach. And they're building a culture down there in Houston. They're building they're building a good team. Yeah, I mean, like I, we said earlier on the show, I mean, beginning of the show, that they are – they are legitimate AFC contenders. I mean, this year so far, I mean, with how they're playing right now, at least making a somewhat deep playoff run. I don't know about going all the way, but making definitely a. They don't want to play it. No one, you don't want to play them in the playoffs. That's for sure. My intake of the week. Uh, I talked about it last show as well, kind of with women's sports getting more recognition, viewership for women's sports going up. But just in general, people are buying in and investing in women's athletics overall. I mean, it can it can be seen through this new uh, National Women's Soccer League TV deal, the NWSL, that just came out. $240 million over the next four years, according to ESPN. 
massive increase from the three-year $4.5 million agreement that was previously in place with CBS. This new deal is in line with ESPN, CBS, Prime, and Scripps. So yeah, I mean, $240 million to $4.5 million. You do the math, what a uh, percent increase that is. But yeah, I mean, earlier this year, the commissioner, Jessica Berman, reported, the, reported, reported excuse me, that viewership on CBS and its streaming affiliate, affiliate Paramount Plus was up 21% uh, year over year to last season. So yeah, this is awesome. I mean, women's sports definitely being invested in more and w, w, NWSL. Uh, kind of leading the way at that forefront. So awesome to see. Zach, what is your intake of the week? My intake of the week is going to be... Shoot, what is my intake of the week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. My intake of the week is the fact that the greatest job in the world is fired football coach. Jimbo Fisher getting paid $75 million to not work. Isn't that what we all should strive to do? But Jimbo Fisher, it never worked at Texas A&M. He was there for six years. He got paid more than any coach in America, and the results just weren't there. Never developed a quarterback after being thought of as a quarterback whisperer when he was at Florida State when he had E.J. Manuel and Jameis Winston and Christian Ponder and turned them all into first-round picks. And it never happened at Texas A&M. Kellen Mond was the only decent quarterback he ever had, and he was a fifth-round pick or something like that. Texas A&M never finishing higher than second in the SEC West, uh, never really all that close to playoff contention except for the COVID year in 2020. Just a failed coaching job, and if not for the outrageous amount of money, this probably should have happened a couple of years ago. But, you know, they did a top five buyouts of all yep. time, and the next four guys total is less than Jimbo Fisher himself. Yeah. So not, nice to have oil money, and we should all strive to be a fired football coach. Yeah, I mean, this is – it's not just him, though. I mean, the whole program, Texas A&M program, has structural issues um, involved with it. I mean, it's not just Jimbo Fisher. He's going to be making $7 million a year until 2031, which is, like you said, Zach, that's and that's what you should dream for. That's, re, that's what you should shoot for. I mean, he's going to basically be making, yeah, like I said, way more than anyone else in the country does for pretty much sitting around doing nothing this is empty money though that could be used for you know better coordinators and just kind of fixing up the structural integrity of that program in general i know they have a lot of money but still i mean it is just wasted money in general but yeah seven million a year for the next what is that um like eight years so definitely not it's the biggest sleeping giant program in college football they've got all the resources mm -hmm. in the world they've got one of the great traditions in college football at the 12th man they've got one of the best stadiums in college football with kyle field everything is in place for texas a&m to be a dominant program if they can ever hire the right coach and i don't know who that guy is but if texas a&m should not be striving to be anything less than regular sec and national title contenders because they've got everything that you would want do you think he might work? Do you think he's done now, or do you think he's going to try to get a job somewhere else? Oh, I'll bet it goes somewhere else. They all do. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe call. I mean, do you think any interest in NFL? Do you think, or I mean, not you don't know nah. you don't know him, but yeah, yeah we'll see. My um, this, this actually was one of the, my outtakes. Um, but my other outtake, I will say, uh, pa Paul Feibaum this past weekend said that the Michigan win over Penn State was not impressive uh, for many reasons. I think that's just wrong. Obviously. Uh, hardball didn't even coach this game a lot of emotional turmoil in the in the locker room leading up to this game and Penn State of course is still one of the top teams in the country so definitely was an impressive win I'm not I don't really buy what Paul Feinbaum, Feinbaum said at all I think it's still a massively impressive win for Michigan to come away without their head coach interim head coach 
emotions kind of in turmoil in the locker room and to still come out and win this game against, like I said, one of the top 10 or one of the top teams in the league. Very, very impressive. Outtakes of the week. Justin, what is your outtake of the week? My outtake of the week is James Franklin saying, everybody's saying that he is a top five coach in college football. He's not. He's not. He just fired the offensive coordinator, Mike Yurkrich, if I'm saying his name right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to have his sixth offensive coordinator during his tenure at Penn State. He's an average college football coach at best. He is not elite. He lost to an interim head coach at Michigan. I mean, with Harbaugh out, obviously, you got to win those games. He can't win those games. And now he's on his sixth different offensive coordinator. James Franklin is an overrated coach in college football. You know what his record is against top 10 teams? What is? 3-17. and 17. Oh my gosh, he's so that's that's overrated. He is, he's the wor- one of the worst in-game coaches in all of college football. He goes for it when he doesn't need to. He was down nine with about two minutes to go and decides that's the time to go for two. Where if you don't get it, the game's over. Like his in-game decision making makes me comfortable as an Ohio State fan, knowing that you know what we may play a close game with Penn State, but James Franklin will give us the win. Uh, I've already said my outtakes, Texas A&M firing Jimbo Fisher, like we already said, and then I, Paul Feinbaum being wrong. But, uh, Zach, what is your outtake of the week? Finish us off here. Yeah, any, anybody who's doubting Georgia, anybody who doubted them the entire season, said they didn't look great yep. against you know lesser competition, well, they just took apart Ole Miss, 52-17. They reminded everybody they are still the best team in all of college football. They are the team to beat. And they've now won 27 straight SEC games. If they win next week against Tennessee, they'll tie the all-time SEC record with 28 consecutive wins, which is set by Alabama from 78 to 80. Kirby Smart has built an absolute power down there. Carson Beck has gotten better as the season's gone along. We know what Georgia brings on the defensive side of the ball. They have a real chance to be the first college football team in the AP poll era to win three consecutive national championships, which automatically makes you one of the greatest programs of all time if you're able to do that. So anybody who doubted Georgia, uh, and you could even extend this to Alabama as well. Anybody who doubted Alabama. Uh, not looking a little foolish right now because they're on a collision course in another SEC title game. We're going to do this again, but you want to see the best teams play, and they're going to play again. And, you know, the SEC champ, whichever one it is, is going to be either the favorite or next in line along with whoever wins the Big Ten. Yeah, these title games coming down end of the year are going to be amazing. Pac-12 title game will be amazing. SEC title game will be amazing. ACC title game will also be pretty good in uh Big 12 will be explosive. Yeah, they're all going to be – I mean, like they usually are, but still, I mean, I can't wait for the end of the season. Rivalry week heading into, you know, the championship weekend and then obviously the bowl games after that and and the playoffs as well. Can't can't forget about those. So, all right, guys, we'll do this all again Thursday. Great show. Um, yeah, we'll uh, still working out a guest for Thursday, uh, but we will be back. Talk all things college. So, you know, recap this past week of college football. Get ready for uh, the week ahead of college football. But until then, uh, we'll see you then and keep on traveling.